Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So let's say our declaration, all right? Here we go. If you're watching online, say it with us. I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it. So let's align our our heart today with his word as it pertains to the glory of God. Because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about the glory of God in this series. And if you want to turn in your Bibles, Amos chapter 5 is kind of where we'll be going uh, today. And... Uh, Amos is one of those little minor prophet Bible uh, books, so it's like, you know, don't be ashamed if you have to go to the uh, table of contents to look it up. The devil always used to make me feel like I was inferior because I had to look at the table of contents. Man, I got a Bible degree. I went to Bible school. I went to seminary, and sometimes I still have to look at the table of contents. like... Lord, maybe you took it out of there. I don't know. And I look in the table of contents. I'm like, oh, no, he didn't move it. It's right there. Um, So anyway, Amos chapter 5 is where we're going to go. And we're in this series called Vertical. And it's all about our vertical relationship with the Lord. If you haven't listened to this uh, series, the other messages, I I think this is my third, third message in this one. Erica brought a powerful message a couple of weeks ago. She's going to be bringing another message towards the end of the month. And uh, man, I just want you to, to go and listen to those. Every message right now is online and it'll bring you kind of up to par where we are in this series. And so as we talk about this, I want, I want uh, you to understand and I'm not sure what might be going on back there uh, with the visuals, but that's not the next slide. Uh, so uh, that one right there is not the next slide. So um, I don't think it is. But if it is, let, let's just go with it, okay? Let me, can y'all pause for a second? Because sometimes we have technical difficulties. Sammy, is that the next slide in it? The, le, then let's go with that, okay? All right. So we'll just go with this, all right? We're off in the mud right now. It's okay. So there's a a study that UCLA did several years ago, and this study is how words, tone, and posture affect interpersonal communication, all right? So think about this for a second, all right? Now, how you communicate with people is important. Now, parents, Trayton, Kenrick, Philip, Debbie, don't, don't be punching him, you too. Listen, parents, the way you say things is important. In this study, they, they did this study and 7% of what you say is impacting, like the, the content of what you say, take out the trash, take out the trash. It's just a very simple phrase. Just take out, out the trash. That's the content. That's the verbal. Take the trash out. 
that takes, that's, that takes on a whole different tone, no pun intended. That takes on a whole different, like, it went from a simple take the trash out command to, to now it's got some grit. It's got some attitude. And so words, tone, posture, how all this affects. So tone, 38% of your tone in the conversation 38% of your tone is going to affect which direction this conversation ends. How the person receives you, the effectiveness of the execution of the taking out of the trash. If you were to say, hey, would you take the trash out, please? Now, they still might not do it, but chaos hasn't begun to reign yet. And you can even say things in a very direct way that's like, hey, I've asked you three times to take the trash out. I won't ask you again. Like, that's not that bad. It's direct. It's, you know, it's got a little bit of that to it. But everything hadn't escalated and, you know, put everything out. In my family, my family will tell you, that the most important thing in a conversation with me is tone. And my wife, she can tell you, if I, I can get in a mood fast, tone puts me in a mood, and I shut down quickly if the tone is, is not right. I remember one time, the very first pastor that I ever worked for, and I worked for him, not with him, if anybody on our staff, you ever talk to anybody on our staff, they will, they will describe an environment where we work together. We were a team. That, it wasn't no team. It was I worked for him. I was his employee. And I was fresh out of school, man, and this was my first place. And as, I'm ta- as he left me several voice messages and that's back in the day where we didn't have, like, cell phones or anything like that. And he left me several voice messages. And Shay was the one who got the voice messages. And she called me. And, man, she's crying. She's upset. And she said, you know, you need to listen to these voice messages. And, man, my pastor, he had talked to me on that voice uh, message machine. You know, the beep, you know. And he talked to me so badly, and my wife, you know, got the message. And so anyway, after we got uh, there and everything, I, as this man, wet behind the ears, young minister, went to my pastor's office after the event was over, and I sat down with him. I asked him, could I speak to him? And I said to him, Pastor, I can't work in that environment. I don't do well like that. And if you, if you ever speak to me like that again, you know, now understand, I'm not saying, if you ever speak to me that way, I'm, I'm not, I, I ain't got my attitude because tone affects me. So I just very, very plainly said, Pastor, if you, if you ever speak to me that way again, it will be my last day here. I can't work in those, in, in those conditions. It just doesn't work for me. And, um, and so I, I didn't work there very long. I was there for 13 months and I learned a lot. And when Shay and I came away from that, we were like, you know, we were kind of feeling like failures 
that we were only, because our heart has always been for long-term ministry, longevity in ministry. And, um, and I felt like a failure there. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I taught you so much there. I taught you how not to treat people. Everything that you saw there was dysfunctional. Don't treat people that way. And so in this study that shows that 38% of how we say things, and then it's kind of surprising here that body language, 55%, is going to uh, affect how positive or negative your interaction is with people. Um, Have you ever been with somebody and... I mean, you're pouring your heart out to them, man. You tell them about, you know, some health issue or some family issue that you got. Man, you're, and, and I don't have my cell phone up here with me, but, like, they're checking their Facebook while in the middle of a conversation. I'm not lying. That has happened to me. They're checking every message that they get. Now, if anybody's ever uh, had time with me, you know, I will usually tell you, hey, uh, I'm expecting an important phone call or I am expecting a very urgent return to a message. So I'll check it just to see if that's it. But if you've had time with me, you know, I give you my time and attention. And so things like eye contact and, and giving people your full attention and being present with people is so important. And people in upper management usually get this stuff and this kind of training really well. And so, you know, today, um, the things that I do, how I say them, my body language is going to affect what, uh, what we do here in this room today. And one of the things that uh, if, if I can just use my own family for a moment, uh, one of the things that Shay's mom said to us like many, many years ago when she came to church, um, she said, it's such a totally different atmosphere at your church than it is at my church. And she said, at my church, I always feel like the pastor is screaming at us. Now, y'all know I scream too. But he's screaming and he's mad at us. And we're bad people. And we're, we're doing everything wrong. And we're just terrible. And when I leave church, I feel terrible. Because I feel like I don't do anything spiritually right. But when we come to your church, like I feel lifted up. I feel edified. I feel built up. I feel encouraged even when there's areas in my life that Holy Spirit convicts me in through the message or or whatever, but I don't feel this heaviness. And I'm like, I know exactly what that feels like because that's what how I grew up in the ministry. I grew up and There's a very important lesson that I had to learn in the early days of Destiny Church. And I don't know if, uh, yeah, Sheila's in the room. Sheila taught me this lesson. And so in the early days of Destiny Church, um, Sheila came to me after service uh, one day. I don't know if it was that day or that week or whatever. And she said to me, uh, she said, Pastor, you, you don't have to convince us. 
Like, you just tell us what God is saying to you in your time and the direction for the church. Just tell us, and we're going to follow. Like, and I'm like, I don't know what you mean, you know. And, and she's like, you get up and you preach to us like we're the opposite side. And this light bulb went off in my head. And that's the only model I had ever had uh, shown to me. That I know what's best for all of you guys. I'm the one that hears from the Lord. And you're here to hear what God said through my mouth. And you're on the opposite side. And it's us against them. And that's how every pastor, pretty much, that I was uh, ever under, with maybe the exception of one, possibly two, did ministry. And so all of the teaching and mentoring, and which really was passive mentoring, you know, there's, po- uh, there's, there's uh, uh, proactive, active minis- mentoring, and then there's just passive mentoring, like... You can either be proactive and actively mentor people in a positive way, or they're just going to look at what you do. And however you do it, it's how they're going to do it. And that's how I did ministry. And I saw them get up on Sunday morning and beat the crowd up and tell them how bad they are and why you, you know, you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're not doing this. As a matter of fact, I'll give you an example. On the, on the screen just a little earlier, you saw uh, Nate say that during the pandemic, eventually that caught up with us, and it has affected us financially. And that's not a fun place to be. And so what we have to do as a church, we have to look at our budget. We have to see where we have to cut back in budget ways. And so, you know, that's what we've done. And we've got a really smart group of people and our elders and you know we look at that kind of stuff and you've never once not once heard me walk out on this stage ever in the entire years of destiny church go y'all gonna have to start giving i i'm we're gonna put buckets on the stage and they're gonna be full today so get your pocketbooks out I've been in services where that has actually happened. But you've never heard me say that. You've never heard me say that. All I know to do, preach the word, teach the word, show you the word, live the word. And you're responsible for you and I'm responsible for me. But I've never gotten up and, and berated the church for not doing this and not doing that and not doing that. Well, let me say this. I don't know if I've never done it. If I have done it, please forgive me. Because that's not what brings us into oneness. That's not what brings us into unity. And so through looking at this, it's really important about how we say things and how we posture our things. And I've been talking to you about in a, in a horizontal relationship. But now let's, change, let's, let's shift it from horizontal to vertical. Think about tone. Think about posture when it comes to our vertical relationship with God. 
I'm just telling you, God ain't really interested in, in your words. Words are important. But 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says this, that man looks on the outward appearance. Man is interested in words. But what does God look at? Our heart. It's all about the intent, the motive behind the words, the body language. It's all, all, all situated in that. And I want you to look at this. God's presence is the intended dwelling place for his people. God, he created us in, in our original state to be in his presence. Now, just think, if Adam and Eve had not fallen, think of the, uh, of the glory, the relationship that we would have had with God. God would have, like we would have had a relationship with him like we're going to have again, like at some point in the future. But that was his original tent, to be in his presence. That's his intended dwelling place for his people. The fall messed that up. But God is not coming into our presence, but we're coming into his presence. That's really important to, to understand. Like, when we come to church, God is not coming into our presence. We are coming into his presence. So, when I come to your house, I don't just, you know, come to your house and, you know, kick my shoes off and, and uh, put my feet up on your coffee table. I'm coming into your house. I'm honoring your uh, culture and your house. We went to this, we, while we were out of uh, the country, we went to this uh, particular, uh, well, we, actually two places. The house that we went in, the people that were hosting us, our, our missionary friends, we were renting a house. Well, evidently down there they take their shoes off before they go into the house. Some of y'all probably do that. Well, I don't. I go in my house with my shoes on and I walk all over the place and my wife is like, you're tracking everything through the house. Well, that's why they don't do it because there are parasites in their soil. And so when they go into their house, they take the shoes off so that they don't track those parasites you know, and then they walk on it with their bare feet. So when I went there, they took their shoes off, and I'm like, oh, I guess we're taking our shoes off all this week. <laughs> so I just leave my shoes at the door. Because why? I was, in, I was coming into their presence. They weren't coming into my presence. When we come into God's house, there are some things that we need to realize that we're coming into God's presence. God isn't coming into our presence. We're coming into his house, not we're coming into, he's coming into our house. And there are some things about the atmosphere, the presence of God, that, that the Lord either demands or he deserves, he wants, he desires. And as we're coming into his presence, you know, well, brother, I just don't like those songs that they're singing. Well, it's not about you. Are the songs biblical? Are the song, do they lift the Lord up? Then Get with it. Like, you're, you know, God ain't, God, I wish we had some steps right here so that I could come down there. God ain't, God ain't like, Shay, uh, what songs do you want today? Okay, all right. You got any favorite passages of scripture you want to preach, preach on today? You know, Valerie, um, you know, let me just, and, and he's not going around taking orders. Like, it ain't Burger King, man. When we come to the church, it's not, it, we don't have it our way. It's his way. 
It's God, whatever you want. You're the audience, and we are the ones who are offering up everything. And so that's very important for us. And here's really where I want us to focus today. Our presence precedes God's presence. Our posture, sorry. Our posture precedes God's presence. And I want to just add a couple of things here. Our posture precedes God's manifest presence. Now, somebody tell me. This is just question and answer. Somebody tell me what's the difference between omnipresence and manifest presence. This is a question from last week. All right? And omnipresence, God is everywhere. Manifest presence is when his glory shows up in a tangible, uh, sometimes physical way. What were you going to say, Amy? Transformation takes place in there, in the manifest glory of God. And so there is a heightened awareness many times in the manifest presence of God. However, you can be in the manifest presence of God and not feel a thing. I have been in services where God's manifest presence is like, oh, man, it's just so thick and strong. And old Murtis over there, she's got something in her crawl. She's mad at Eunice over something. And old Murtis and Eunice, they're over there, ain't neither one of them feeling a thing. Why? Why? Because of their posture, how they came into the presence of God. Our tone, our posture, it affects how we come in. The mindset that you come in. I'm telling you, um, you know, if you don't fix your mind on the things of God, the, the enemy, he'll take your mind off into other places. So that's why for me, I usually sit up straight. I usually pay, uh, I, I usually keep my eyes focused. I usually take notes. I usually sit up at the front of, of places where I normally worship. I may not do it if, it, if I'm going to uh, you know, a strange place. I might not come straight down to the front. But I usually try to sit in a place that I'm going I'm to be engaged. I ain't going to be sitting uh, by anybody that's going to be running their mouth the whole time. I mean, my staff, when, whenever... Um, Whenever I'm down there, I know I hadn't been down there a whole lot because I'm helping out right now with the worship team. But they'll come up and they'll, they, they'll, I'm like, unless the house is on fire, I am ignoring you. Because this is God's time. This is worship time. And I have seen ministers of God, some very highly decorated ministers of God, who are internationally known that we have had, not at this church, but at other churches that I've been at, and they've come in and they have, uh, they have fiddle-dee-diddled the whole time in worship. And, dude, I'm just telling you, that don't set well with me. Like, do not expect somebody to come at, like, when, when you get to preaching the word, don't expect somebody to give you their ultimate attention if you haven't given God the ultimate attention. If I'm down there worshiping, uh, I, and the people are up here leading us in worship, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm giving it my all. Why? Because 
Posture is important when we come into God's presence. So for the next couple of weeks, I want to share with you 14 ways. Now, don't panic because I can't share 14 ways in one message. But I'm going to share 14 ways to prepare for God's manifest presence. And the first part is attitude and the second part is action. So today I'm just going to talk to you about some attitudes like heart posture when we come into God's presence. And I'm telling you what, every person in this room can learn from this message today. How you come in. Young people, you can, un, you, can, you can learn from this. Older people, you can learn from this. And if I could just say something harsh, and, and uh, it, it's going to be a father of the house kind of thing um, to, to some folks. There are some people that are never going to grow spiritually. They're never going to go to another level of glory. And you're just going to kind of stagnate and, and, and come to a stalemate. Because you will not come into the presence of God with the right posture. And, and if you don't, you don't ever expect God. You know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And whether they meant to or not, they... They definitely taught it subliminally, where the louder you preach and the harder you preach, the more spiritual it is. They also taught that um, the Holy Ghost will just come and get a hold of you and possess your body and make you do all kinds of crazy things that you didn't even want to do. My brothers and sisters, that is not the gospel. That's not correct scriptural teaching. God, if you don't want God, God ain't going to come and, and go, Dad, come you, you are going to want me. It's not going to happen. God is super easy. The scripture says, draw close to me. And I'll draw close to you. God's waiting on you and me. A lot of times we say, Lord, we're waiting on you. Because he's omnipresent. He's always here. So we ain't waiting on him. What God is waiting is for us to move towards him. And when we move towards him, then he will move towards us. So let's just dive into these for the next few minutes. So these are seven attitudes these are mindsets. This is a frame of mind how you and I come into the house of the Lord. The first one is hunger. It's a desperation, a desire. So Matthew 16, 24 says this, that Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples, he said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But I want to focus on the desire. In other words, if any man wants to, like you got to have some want to. My dad, I talked to him when, whenever I was a kid and growing up in his business, painting business, and he would bring, uh, bring people, and he was always looking to train up young men. And, you know, there would be one with us for a couple of weeks, and then they wouldn't be around. And I'd say, hey, Dad, what happened to Tony? And he said, Tony ain't got no want to. He don't want to get up. He don't want to work. All he wants is his check. You have to have some desire. And 
listen, there's some danger here because hunger can be desperation as well. But desperation is dangerous if it never develops into desire. You follow me? Desperation is dangerous if it never develops into desire. You've seen people who are desperate? I've been desperate. You've probably been desperate. But what happens is when we are desperate, we're like, God, I got to have you. God, I got to have you. I'm just at my wit's end. I'm, a person who is desperate is not thinking rationally. All they know is I got to have some help. I don't care what kind of help. Just give me some help. I was talking to a young man this many years ago. And so he, uh, he was not happy with where he was in life and the church he was at and everything. And he started down this road that was really, he was getting connected to some spiritually unhealthy leadership. Like these people were like, woo, way out there in cuckoo land. And so I said to him, I said, they're, they're teaching you things that are not biblical. And I said, you've got to be happy. And I started, you got to be careful. I said, what I see happening, you are, you are going to end up eating some rotten fruit. And this is a man, a message that he said to me that I'll never forget. And he said, when you're hungry, you'll eat anything. That's powerful. When you're hungry, you'll eat anything. You'll eat junk. You'll eat, you'll eat it if it's rotten. Desperation can get you to a place. There are plenty of examples. Last week I shared out of Mark chapter 5, the lady who had the issue of blood, she was desperate to get to the Lord. But like desperation, you, you can't always be desperate. You've seen those people that they'll come down and they'll be at the altar and, you know, and I, I've heard good old preachers preach this. By God, if you gotta, if you gotta make it to heaven clanging to the altar rails, then cling to the altar rails. If you have to come down and get saved every Sunday, come on down. You know, that sounds great in a preacher who can preach that in a great voice. But can I tell you, that is dumb. It's also not a disciple. You can cling to the rails and you can be desperate for a while, but at some point, you got to stop that, young man. Paul says, when I was a boy, I thought of things like a boy. I did boy things. But there came a time that I had to put away the boy stuff. And I had to put on my big, big boy britches. And I had to act like a man. I had to do things like a man. I had to think like a man. I had to operate like a man. And so, you know, we have to have a desire. And it's okay if you are, are desperate. But that desperation has to move to a place of maturity where it's like, God, I just love you. And I want to be with you all the time. The second thing is there's, you got to come with an open mind. There's a humility there's a teachability. The older we are in the faith, we think we know everything. Oh, he's preaching on Jonah. Yeah, got it. Jonah, Lord speaks to him, doesn't want to do it, goes, you know, to, you know, Tarshish. Uh, you know, he, fish swallows him, gets spit out. And we'll begin to turn off because, oh, uh, we know that. Instead of going, man, I've heard Jonah preach so many times, and every time I learn something new. Come with an open mind. Psalm 138, 
and verse 5 says it this way. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, and he keeps his distance from the proud. The Lord, he presses in to people who are of a humble spirit. God, teach me whatever I need to learn today. I don't want to walk out of this place. I don't want to have an arrogant mindset that keeps me from learning what you want me to learn. I come to you with an open mind. The scripture says God actually opposes the proud. Like, that, he, he doesn't just, proud people don't just irritate the Lord. He actually works against them. And friend, you don't want the Lord working against you. Come with an open mind. God, what, is, what are you going to teach me today, God? What, are you gonna, what am I going to learn in your presence? The third thing is this. Unity. This is a oneness of vision. When we have this attitude of coming together in unity, Matthew 18 and 20 says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So come together in unity. Coming together in unity is like, you know, well, I just, you know, I think the church ought to be doing this, and I think this ought to be happening with the worship, and I think the preacher needs to preach a sermon series on, you know, uh, whatever, whatever. You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. If you needed to be the preacher, the pastor, then God would have called you to the ministry and you would have you a church somewhere or a ministry. But you're not, or maybe you are, but no, come and get under the vision of the church. I've had so many people to come uh, to Destiny and they want us to be CHP or they want us to be City Hope. And I'm like, well, if you want us to be there, then you go there, not here. This is a training center. We build disciples here. We're not going to have every service like CHP. They're, they're, they're a revival uh, uh, service. There's nothing wrong with that. But they have a totally different element in the body of Christ than we do. That's not who we are. You're also not going to get, you know, uh, 22-minute sermons here and, you know, three easy little points for you to remember. That's not who I am as a leader. That's not what you're going to get here. But I, I got several friends that have churches like that, and I could, uh, you know, I can encourage you to go there. But when we come into this place, you got to understand our, our mission is to love God and love people. Love God and love people. Love queer people. Murdis, did he just say queer? <laughs> yeah, you got to love queer people. You got to love black people, white people, Chinese people. You got to love people that hadn't got stuff figured out in their life. You got you to gotta love people that are the come and cling to the altar every week people. You got you to love the religious people. You got to love all kinds of people. That's the heart of this house. This house is also a teaching ministry. So, you know, everything's not going to be perfect all the time. We're going to have people learning. You know, they're going to get it wrong. You know, we've, we've gotten stuff wrong this week. We got stuff wrong the week before. I'm not talking about in service, but that too. And it's okay because Jesus' own disciples, which we're his own disciples, but Jesus' own originally 12 disciples got it wrong. We went out and did what you said to do, and it don't work. Tell me how you did it. Well, we did this, this, and this. And he's like, yeah, oh, you, you're going after those big devils, ain't you? Yeah, that don't, that don't work unless you've fasted. you got to pray and fast for that. 
Now, go back out, do it again. And he went out, did it again. Or they went out and did it again. And they, they came back and they're like, this stuff works. It works. Holy Moses. So coming into unity. God, when people, I was sharing this with someone the other night. Listen, when God built, uh, when the people were building the Tower of Babel, they were in such unity, and they're, they're what they said. Now, I don't understand how they were going to do it, but they said, let us make a way to the heavens. Like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build this thing to the heavens. And what did the Lord do at the Tower of Babel? He said, we need to step in, and we need to separate them, and we need to confuse their languages, lest they accomplish what they set out to do. Now, think about that. If, if they could do that in a negative way that God didn't want to and through the principle of unity, think of what we can do. See, church, I'm just telling you, do you know why it looks so many times like the enemy is winning the war? He's not winning the war, by the way. But do you know why it looks like he's winning the war? Because the, the enemy knows the power of unity. He knows the power of disunity too, but he knows the power of unity. He knows the power of familiar spirits. For those of you who are, that's a whole other message I can't get into, but he knows the power of familiar spirits. He'll take a spirit and he'll, uh, he'll take this other familiar spirit and two divisive spirits or spirit of lust or whatever kind of spirit you want to call it, and he'll bring these spirits together and put them all together, and before you know it, the enemy has amassed a major uh, uh, force of assault because he knows the power of unity. My God, if the church could truly get that power of unity, when, that, when the Holy Spirit came, where were they? On the day that Holy Spirit was unleashed into the earth, where were they? In the upper room. And what were they doing? They were all in one accord, mind, spirit, unity. That's what happens when we come into unity. Let me go through these others real quick. Intentionality. There's preparation and planning. James 4 and 8 says, come close to God and God will come close to you. There's an intentionality when we come into the presence of God. Every Sunday when I come into this house, I'm like, God, I'm coming close to you. It's not okay for Rife Stewart. It's not okay for this guy to come into the house of God and just kind of go, well, I don't know. I could have really done without it. It's, I could take it or leave it. Every time I come into the house of the Lord, I am going to draw close to the Lord. Alan, you might not have gotten anything. David, you might not have gotten anything. Brian, you might not have gotten anything. Stephen, you might not have gotten anything. But I am going to get something. I'm going to put myself in a position, uh, uh, in, in ten, a position. Yeah, posture, but an intentional mindset that God today, when you move, I'm right there. I'm ready to receive. I'm going to move close to you. I'm going to get myself in a position to, to, to get to you. And intentionality can also be an action. I'm not going to talk about that next week, but intentionality can also be an action. Like, listen, to me, I don't do a whole lot of late night Saturday things. Why? Because I'm intentional about this place. Well, you're the preacher. You're supposed to be intentional about it. 
This is just my position in the body of Christ. But we're all brothers and sisters and we're all disciples. We're, we're, we're all on the same level when it comes to that. But my position is he put me in charge of the house. And on Saturday night, I don't do a lot of stuff late. Now, I will occasionally. There have been times I've been out to one or two in the morning on a Saturday night doing something or I had to travel back from somewhere. So what do I do? I set my alarm. Shay sets her alarm. We have two alarms that go off. Why? Because I'm intentional about the house. Well, you ain't got four kids. I had two kids, and we never were late to church. We didn't use that as an excuse. Like, get your act together. Be intentional. You want God to show up? Many times, oh, Jesus. Man, there's a a message that I could preach uh, where, you know, people most of the time they'll show up where the Holy Ghost has been. And I don't mean to sound rough uh, or hard. I'm just telling you, man. you You either want the presence of the Lord or you don't. Watch my tone, Rife. Watch my tone. <laughs> but you really, you, want, you either want the presence of the Lord or you don't. It's either important or it's not. You're either teaching your kids it's important or it's not. They're watching you. And so be intentional about how you prepare for his presence. Like, I don't know, you know, there are times where, like, I don't know, like, what t- every person in this room got here at, a, at probably a different time. You know, it might have been seconds, it might have been minutes, it could have been half an hour, difference in time. But if you got here after the ministry of worship, you missed a lot of prophetic stuff. You missed that. That's never going to happen again. That was for that moment, you know? And so it's like, it's really about being intentional about getting into God's presence. And I'm telling you, man, I would love it if our house got so intentional about this gathering, just so intentional about this gathering. I'd love it, man, if there were hardly any room up at the front because people want to get so close to the glory. They just want to get, get close. And I know the glory is everywhere, you know, but, but when I was a kid raising up, I, man, the preacher was like, down on the front row is, is where it's happening. You know, I think he was just trying to get people to the front row. Um, coming with an attitude of expectancy. I send messages out to our, our ministry team I can't control what they do with it on Saturday night, but I send a message out, and I usually am saying, "God, ask, guys, ask God to do something we just haven't seen before. Like a different level of his glory. Ask God to do something in a way that like, we've not experienced it before. Let's, let's don't come to church and go, well, look, they're going to sing three songs. Pastor Rife's going to get up and go off into the wilderness somewhere. Uh, he's going to preach. You know, probably longer than I want him to. Uh, you know, and then I guess we're going to go home. Don't come with that attitude. Come with the attitude of God. What are you going to do today? Who could be healed today? Like, what? Who could be delivered today? Who could walk in and be saved today? Come with that. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, and it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him. Like that desire. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that. They have to have an expectancy. They've got to, anyone who comes to him has to have that expectancy that he's going to reward those who sincerely seek him. Five is emotions. Seven attitudes. Number five is emotions. Or six, sorry. Thank you all for helping me preach. Gladness, weeping, 
joy. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Like, I had to train myself. If you're going to wait until the music gets you excited, you're waiting for the wrong thing. Don't wait for music to get you excited. You get excited for the music. Does that make sense? I'm telling you what, if you'll enter his, pray, enter his courts with praise, enter his courts with God, thank you for what you're going to do today. God will just enter in, and there are times where, man, I'm just a weepy mess. There are times when I feel excited and, and, and all of that. And then emotions are a powerful point of contact for God. And there's a release. God built us with emotions. And there's a release when you cry. There's a release when you shout. There's a release. And so services should be emotional. I should be emotional. And if I want to connect with God, because God is emotional. You ever been talking to somebody and remember that whole tone, verbal, and body posture? Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're trying to make this connection and they're just like glass and you go, they're not feeling this man. Like I'm just trying to express myself to them and they are just lost in it. God is not, his, his manifest presence is not going to come into connection with you if, you are, if you're a pillar of salt, if you're a stone. Pastor Rife, I'm just not a crier. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. I don't know the answer to that. But you don't have to cry. You can, you can worship him in other emotional ways. Let me finish this last one up. And this is contrition. That's glad, uh, it's not, not gladness, joy, weeping. Contrition is repentance and obedience. Is a remorseful heart. So, the, the scripture, Psalm 51, 10 and 11 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me, a right spirit within me. And do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And what David is talking about here, he's saying, you know, God created me a clean heart. Bring my heart back into alignment with your word. And when it says renew a loyal spirit within me, a loyal spirit to the Lord, like to your ways, not my ways. Many times we are horizontal. We're loyal to our ways, the way I want to do it, the way I feel, what makes me feel good. doesn't matter what makes you feel good, my friend. I know we like to feel good. I like to feel good. But it's truly about God, your way. Make me loyal to your way. And, it's, and, and in some versions of the scripture, it says, renew a right spirit in me. Like, correct my spirit. Bring me back into alignment with your righteous ways, God. What's right for you? And so what that is, it's a remorseful heart that when we come into God's house, we're like, God, create a, a, a I, I want to come in, God, with a spirit that, Lord, I'm sorry if I've done something wrong, I'm sorry if I've offended you, God. I'm sorry if my life has not been a reflection of what it is. It doesn't mean that we have to live under condemnation. You get that, right? But there's this, there's this place of remorse that we come to the Lord and we're, we're sorry. Remember, if you're not sorry, if you're, if you're not uh, remorseful, repentant, contrite in spirit, the Lord opposes that. It, it, 
It repels the Spirit of God. And what are we wanting? We're not wanting to repel him. We're wanting to compel him, bring his Spirit in. So how can we bring all of this to a close? I want you to say that on the screen with me. Our posture precedes his presence, his manifest presence. Our posture precedes God's manifest presence. So I want you to begin to think, God, how can I grow in my posture, in the attitude side of it? Next week we'll talk about actions, but in the attitude. God, how can I begin to prepare my mind mentally to receive the presence of God? So let's look at these couple of things and then we're going to go home. All right? What are two postures that you can change that'll help you draw closer to God? What are two postures? And if one of you guys wants to come, you're not going to play long, but you can play for a few minutes. What are two postures that you can change that could help you draw closer to God? In this week, we're just talking about really attitudes, things that you don't, that that are internal, internal things. Well, Pastor Rife, I think I do everything pretty good. Look deeper. Look deeper. You know I have those conversations with myself, right? Well, God, I'm the pastor. If I ain't got it right, then we're in trouble. You know I have those conversations, right? Lord's always like, look deeper, Rife. Look deeper. Everybody has opportunity to grow.